Hello and welcome to the Training for Influence podcast. This is the final podcast of Series 1 and I have the great pleasure of speaking to co-director Faye about the Tay Training Leadership and Management course. Faye is one of my most absolute favourite people in the world. She literally embodies everything she recommends in this podcast in her role as leadership coach for Cornell. Faye and I have worked together and been friends for many years. Faye has a long history of working in services operationally with people who have complex needs and or vulnerabilities. For six years, she was operations director for a charity embedded in the criminal justice system with the aim of preventing sexual abuse. Prior to that, she was manager of a service for adults convicted of offences and resettlement services before leading learning and development teams for both private and charitable organisations. Faye is the most honest, passionate and principled person I know and I'm so grateful to have her in my life. Like me, Faye truly believes that quality training has the ability to change lives, not only of the delegate, but the service users that they work with. Welcome, Faye. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. So we're going to be talking about the leadership and management course today, and that's a two-day course for Tay Training. And you wrote that course and have delivered it many times, haven't you? Yes. And I actually really enjoyed writing the course. I like the fact that it's two days. It gives us a really good opportunity to really explore what leadership and management is. And it's quite a complex course in, in that sense and that we cover lots of different areas within the course. But those two days, I think, are really valuable for our participants. Yeah, and that's certainly the feedback that we get, that it's really well pitched at operational managers and it gives them that time to have that skills practice as well. Yeah. I think that was the key thing when I was writing the course. I wanted people to, one, understand the softer skills. Um, you know, we can look into the theory around leadership and management and we can know these, but actually you need the opportunity to know where your weak areas are so you can look to develop. So the course does offer a lot of opportunity for skills practice and to really look in depth at you and what your action plan is to become a better leader, a better manager. Fantastic. And how difficult was it to pick five learning points from this course, bearing in mind it is over that two days? Yeah, I think it, yeah, it's hard, but I think there are some key themes really that run through it. The sections that we've actually I've picked out are leadership versus management. And what does that mean? Because I think that can be a real debate with people and people struggle with that. So we spend a large part of the first session looking at that. And another key element is the leadership styles. That's almost like the grounding. And then I also picked building trust, which I think is absolutely key as a manager to build your trust within your team, to know your team and to know what you can do to support that trusting relationship. Because all successful teams need to have trust. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other two, we looked at those difficult conversations that all of us as managers need to have. They're really crucial. And as a manager, you can play a key role in how people receive that feedback and how you work with them. So sometimes the build and trust in difficult conversations, if you're not skilled at having those difficult conversations and feel confident in it, it can really impact trust within a team within one conversation. Yeah. So that in itself was a really easy one to pick out from the course. And then finally, I think developing staff and that developing staff is huge, but today I just wanted to pick up on those building our coaching and mentoring skills to be able to work well with our teams um, and develop them. And that leads on to things like the learning styles on our teams a little bit better. 
but ultimately that golden word of delegation as a manager we want to be able to delegate to our teams not only to clear up some of our to-do lists so we can focus on other things maybe more into the, those leadership goals but actually it's about staff development as well you know a staff member being able to take on further responsibility to develop them and actually one of the greatest things and one of the greatest privileges I think of being a manager is watching people progress through somebody you've worked with from the beginning who are now in a leadership role. Absolutely. That's certainly one of the greatest privileges, I think, of managing a team or leading is actually when you see somebody within that team really kind of reaching their potential and being really happy within their role as well. But you're right, you've chose five very big conversations. We've promised the listeners that these podcasts won't be more than 30 minutes because people listen to them on their commutes and things. So we better get started. (laughs) Yep. So let's start with learning point number one then, leader versus manager. What do you mean by this? Well, I think it's a natural human tendency to differentiate and categorise. So it's it's really not surprising that distinctions between management and leadership are commonly made. And I think that there is a divide between that. But ultimately, you are not just a manager or just a leader. You are both those things. So when we think about management itself, it's more about instructing, directing people, requesting things from your staff making sure the operational elements of the role and the service are done and leadership is more about influencing developing people empowering them improving the situation whether it be for the the service users the customers who use your service or your teams within and I think something that really sticks with me is managers do things right and leaders do the right thing and I think that's a really key difference So it's about you can be a good manager around the operational side, but leaders, it's about looking at that bigger picture and doing the right thing for the individuals in your team or the service that you're operating. Yeah, that's a really, really good quote there. That's something I'm going to take away because that's really quite memorable. Just say it again for our listeners. Yeah, so leaders are people who do the right thing. Managers are people who do things right. Fantastic, because sometimes people try and put themselves in one box or another and think that one box is better than the other box. And actually, what that quote does for me is say that actually there's strengths to both of these. Yeah, absolutely. And they interlink. They're not mutually exclusive. People make that confusion that they're just a manager or they are a leader. And actually, they absolutely join together. Yeah, fantastic. That's a brilliant first learning point and really leads us into this topic well. So I'm going to take you now seamlessly onto number two, which you said was leadership styles. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's really key. Historically, years ago, many years ago, when I first did leadership training, they used to talk about leadership types. And you were a type, you would do a questionnaire or you would do something that would say, right, you are this particular type of manager, so run with it. And actually, what I've learned over the years is that that's not the case. We all have styles that fit more comfortably with us. But to be an all-round leader and manager, you have to take elements of all those styles and fit it to the situation. So in the course, we actually look at these styles and the characteristics and behaviours that people use to direct, motivate and guide their team. We particularly look at Daniel Goleman's leadership styles. And Daniel Goleman's wrote lots of things around leadership and emotional intelligence. And actually, I do think those skills around emotional intelligence are really important in being able to adapt yourself and your style to the given situation. I completely agree. They absolutely interlink, don't they, with the emotional intelligence and the styles. 
interestingly I'm, I'm a little bit like you I remember when it used to be types and I also quite strongly remember the move over to styles I remember us having a conversation actually years ago about Goldman's six leadership styles and kind of considering how they work for us and which ones we naturally work within and actually which ones we need to put a little bit more effort into yeah, absolutely. And that's really what the course that we deliver is looking at. So we look at each of those styles. As we've said, there's six styles. There's commanding, visionary, affiliative, democratic, peer setting and coaching. And what we do is spend quite a bit of time looking at each one of those and give each participant the opportunity to consider those, consider if there's any weaker points for them in those styles. So often people do not like to think of themselves as a commanding leader. You know, that potentially could be seen as the old style of autocratic and you must do this. But actually, there's certainly times within your management role and the life cycle of an employee where you will need to be commanding and it doesn't need to be negative. You know, if you think about when somebody first joins the organisation, you can be coaching and you can be a visionary leader with them, but actually you don't know what they don't know yet and they don't know what we don't know about them ultimately. So we have to be really clear that induction plan is a really good example of when demanding leadership works well. That's a really great example and really kind of highlights the importance of ensuring that we use the right style for any given situation. Yeah. The subheading under that is do what I tell you and people take that negatively. But if you look at it in a, a more positive light around developing your staff, it's about giving clear direction. And that's what somebody needs when they first join your team. They need to know exactly what they need to do in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And then as they've been with the organisation a while and their role's been developed and we're going on to developing staff in a moment, but that's actually when you might use one of the other styles to support them and help them grow most effectively. Absolutely. And I'm just thinking about some times when I've worked in hostels for homeless women or worked in vulnerable services where actually at some point you need somebody to say, right, this is a crisis. That's what we're doing. You need somebody to take that lead. As a manager of that team, people will look to you to be that commanding in that instance. Absolutely. And how does that link then with, because your learning point number three is about building trust. And I can imagine that actually from a leadership style perspective, your style is going to be really important in that building trust. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the key thing there really is just thinking a little bit more about that emotional intelligence. And that's what we do on the course. We look at that emotional intelligence in just a little bit more detail before we kind of look at that building the trust within a team, because I think that can really help. You need to build on your emotional intelligence skills. And Goldman actually gives five different skills of emotional intelligence. And in the course, we offer people the opportunity to look at those and see if there's any areas where they feel they need to develop their emotional intelligence further. And the key thing about emotional intelligence is it can be developed. You just need to work on it. And the only way you can work on it is being aware of where you're at. So the five key skills are self-awareness, which is around recognizing your emotions, that self-regulation, where you can manage those emotions, having empathy, which is to understand others and put yourself in their shoes or in that situation, having those social skills, which to influence your team, and finally, motivation, which is about using your inner drive. And I think they're key things to recognize and develop yourself, which you will take forward into building trust within your team. 
Absolutely. And I love the way that you've just framed from an emotional intelligence perspective. You've said that these are things that you can work on because actually sometimes we're really quick to recognize our strengths and weaknesses and feel that actually we can't do much about them. But with emotional intelligence, you can absolutely work on it. Yeah. You need to understand yourself fully to be able to develop your skills. It's not a one-size-fits-all, which is how it used to be in the past. We offer some time at the end of the first day where participants can do their action plan around that. What are the key things that are coming through for them that they'd like to work on and develop further? What's interesting as well, and I won't stick with it, but connected to your learning point five is the fact that you do this in two ways. Day one, you're very much looking at yourself and what can you do to develop yourself to be the best leader and manager you can be. And actually day two, and by the time we get to learning point five, you're then focusing on actually how can you develop your staff and help them be the best they can be. I think that's so powerful all the way through the course. The values are just really, really strong there. It's about actually both individuals and then as a team really being able to, I guess, be the best that they can be within the role that they're in at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I skipped head then. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> build interest then. Let's go back to learning point three. Yeah. Everybody wants to know how they build a good team and that effective team. And there's some key points to look at when we look at that, you know, because without team building skills, as a manager, you risk limiting the productivity of your team and what each member can do on their own. Whereas if you can foster that team building, you can unite your team around a common goal, which will raise productivity, happiness within a team, belonging within a team. And actually, there's some really interesting research around there's some importance about feeling belonged to a team, to an organisation. And I think particularly within the charitable sector, we do this because we have a passion for vulnerable people or giving people the best opportunities in life. So the five steps I would think about in creating a team are about establishing that leadership. So establishing what you need to do for the wider team. Then make sure you've, and it's really key, establish relationships with each of your staff members. Make sure you offer opportunities for those team members to build relationships between themselves and that can play out in lots of different ways, whether they're coaching and supporting each other or they have specific projects together, but really encourage that relationships between each other. Key thing is about fostering teamwork, offer opportunities and enable the team to work together in a collaborative way. Ultimately, the last point really around building that effective team is about setting ground rules for the team. So what are those boundaries? We're working in a collaborative way and we're hoping to achieve great things, but actually there will be limitations on what individuals can do. Yeah, and actually being really clear about them helps set the parameters and helps people recognise their role within them. And one of the things I picked up there and did a sigh of happiness about was building trust between yourself as an individual and your team as well. Because as leaders and as managers, sometimes we can get a little bit tied up in trying to do everything ourselves because we know how we want it done. And actually long term, that isn't feasible, but equally isn't fair on the team because you're minimising the opportunities they have to develop and feel satisfied within their roles as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And a model that I find really helpful, not only in the work that I do with the managers that I coach and support, but also within this training session itself, is the ABC model. And that's by Ken Blanchard. And Ken Blanchard is a great scholar. He does lots of books called The One Minute Manager. And they are fantastic. And I would always advocate those. They're really accessible. They're really easy to read. You know, some management books are, are so, so thick with very thin pages. And that kind of puts me off a little bit. 
But that model really resonates with me in terms of building trust within a team and building a high functioning, performing team. So what it looks like is A is able, and that's about being able to demonstrate competence. So being able to resolve problems, develop people's skills within team, be good at what you do, being able to use your skills to assist others. B, the believable, is about acting with integrity. So you keep your confidences with staff. You admit when you're wrong. One of the best things somebody ever said to me really early on in my career is to be humble enough and to be accountable for all my actions. And that sentence really stuck with me when you're wrong. I love that. That is something that would stick with you. That's a really powerful sentence, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. From all sides, really, that if you've made a mistake, being able to admit to that, again, builds into that trust model. But actually, individually as a manager, knowing that it's okay to make a mistake, often people fall into that trap as a manager, that they feel like they need to know everything and they have to get everything right. And we are all human beings and we all make mistakes all the time. There's something very powerful in being able to go, yeah, I don't get that. I don't understand this. Can you explain it to me? Or I've made this really big mistake but let's see what we can do to rectify it and recognizing actually that within our teams each team member will have strengths that we don't have and that's okay yes no that that's absolutely okay we're very different people and all of our strengths will make up that team so i guess that really connects into if you've built that trust with your team it will enable you to have those difficult conversations as well yeah yeah absolutely it's just so So key really, the other elements of that ABC model are C, which is connected. And that really links into what we've been saying there about caring about other people. And again, linked to developing staff. So make sure you're listening well, that you're giving praise where it's due. Show interest and empathy with your team. Ask for input from other people and share about yourself. We're at work an awful lot of the day, a lot of our time. And I think it's about being able to be a person as well. You may be the manager and leader, but you are ultimately you're just a member of the team doing that role within the team. You're no different to anybody else within that team when it comes to that. And the final point in Blanchard's model is dependable. And that's about maintaining reliability. So do what you say you will do. Be responsive to people. Be organized. Be accountable for your workload follow up and ultimately around that dependable it's about being consistent you're talking there really clearly if we break it down about actually role modeling the behaviors you want to see in your team as well it's really clear that this course is a really detailed course covering so much different information but also everything that you've explained you've explained from the perspective of being able to kind of explore your own leadership style and how you manage and then develop those skills with how they connect to your team as individuals but as a group as well if you've built that trust with them how do you then move on to that difficult conversation I think you're right that building that trust is so key. It will really support you when you come to have those difficult conversations. And there is no doubt about it, as a manager, you will have to have difficult conversations. They will look different, but ultimately you will have to have them. And a lot of the managers that I work with talk about that's something they really want to develop, those difficult conversations. They feel worried and nervous about it. And the thing I always say is they are conversations that are difficult. Nobody finds them easy. You can prepare yourself and you can plan for them. And some of those things around building that trust in your team and developing your staff work towards that. But ultimately, they are always challenging. 
And I think we all tend to put off those difficult conversations because the potential intensity and complexity of the emotions that they arouse, both for the manager initiating the conversation, but also for the person that they're speaking with. And I think there's also a big thing around fear about how people will react and whether you'll be able to handle their reactions or their feelings of vulnerability or concern. And also that feeling of loss of control if somebody responds very emotionally can really make us reluctant to raise an issue face to face. I hear that all of the time from um, managers where they're saying, but but when I talk to her about something difficult, she cries. Or when I talk to her about this, she gets angry. And actually, it's the fear that's connected to having those difficult conversations as well. Absolutely. And I think the key thing there really, and the steps for successful conversations, I like to break it down into three key elements, which is planning and preparation. We need to be aware of what we're going to talk about. So there needs to be a clear purpose for that meeting. Make sure you as manager are clear on the outcome that you want to achieve. Make sure you have as much evidence that you need for that information. So, for example, if you're looking at a competency issue with a member of staff, you need to be very specific when you're talking to them about that. You don't need to say, oh, sometimes you don't hit the KPIs or sometimes you're really rude on the phone. What that person will need to hear is the specifics around that. That planning and preparation is so key. And I guess that also helps from a manager's point of view, build the confidence because actually they know that they're going in there with the information to be able to discuss with the individual. And even if you are going in from a competency perspective, it can still be done from a very friendly, confident perspective. Absolutely. And remember here that when we go back to those five skills and emotional intelligence about having empathy for the people is really important. You know, it's useful to find out where that person is at. You know, why are you rude on the phone? What's going on for you? So it's important to understand their perspective as well. Yes, you have a clear outcome of what you need to achieve, what the organisation needs to achieve, but that doesn't mean you go in and it's just all your agenda. There needs to be space to actively listen to that person hear what they are saying they might be saying one thing but their body language or their tone is saying something else again this is leading into sort of developing staff and developing our skills as managers around that coaching and mentoring and really understanding the person that you've talked to but if we go back to if you've built that trust in team and you you know about the individuals in your team this process of having a difficult conversation will be much easier yeah absolutely and people do get really fearful about it don't they and worry about it in advance quite often I've had managers say to me that actually the opinions of the person that they're working with are really really strong and I can completely see how actually going in with the evidence but also balanced with the empathy would really help somebody prepare for a session like that where somebody might have strong emotions or strong opinions and you do as a manager need to roll with the situation but to have the tech techniques in one pocket and have the evidence and the information in the other pocket means that you're fully prepared to actually give the person sitting opposite you the best opportunity to either change or amend or learn you know some of them it might be a misunderstanding with policy or process or something you're giving them the opportunity to actually have that open conversation with you but equally you've still got your agenda and your objective to achieve within that session as well Yeah, absolutely. And the delivery of that conversation is really important. And there needs to be that balance of input and listening and using those open questions around that. And again, that's a skill in itself. We explore all those softer skills on the course about developing those as individuals. 
Yeah. And I guess a really important point here as well is also within the course, because all of the courses are tailored and linked to organisations, mission and policies and processes and things. You talk within this course, don't you, about also using your policies and processes as that safety net as well lean into the policies and processes that your organization has about going through if it's a disciplinary process for instance or a competency process make sure that you are making those notes filling in those forms and using the support of other people within the organization that might be hr specialists or other managers and things like that yeah absolutely i think just making sure in that delivery of that difficult conversation or meeting that you set the purpose and deliver that key messages early in the conversation to make sure that clarity and transparency is there. But you have to balance that with your input, but also listening to those and encouraging the staff member to lead where possible and appropriate. You know, what you've just reminded me of there is I remember having what I reflect on as a pretty terrible manager, to be fair. I remember going into a one-to-one session with them and it was an hour-long session and we'd gone through the different objectives with customer groups, this, that and the other, and they were my manager. And there was literally five minutes left of the session and she asked me a question and dropped something on me, which clearly was the point of us meeting in the first place. But we then had about four minutes for me to give the reason and rationale for the situation. So what you said there about actually at the beginning, setting out what the meeting's about and why and being honest and transparent, that's really key because you can put it off as a manager, but doing it in the last five, 10 minutes of a session isn't fair, is it? No, the staff member leaves with lots of unanswered questions, but also you as a manager, you haven't performed very well. And actually that will stick with you and that actually that meeting ended probably quite badly. Yeah, it ended with us both feeling anxious and me wanting more time to show the background and the evidence to to the discussion that had just been brought up. Yeah. And I think what was really missing from your conversation, the reason it was like that was because it was the last five minutes. One of the key things about ending a difficult conversation is making sure that any actions are really clear, they are owned and they are agreed. We use it all the time, but think about those smart objectives, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and timely. They're so important when it comes to those difficult conversations. One of the last key points, really, when it comes to having successful conversations is you've had that prepping, you've had the meeting, and often people think that's it now. We've set the agreed targets and that's it. The third and final really important aspect is that follow-up. Send a summary of agreed outcomes and actions to your team member. Send that in a, a written email. You can push through them again at a later date, but it's really important that those smart targets and those agreed owned outcomes are there. We need to check in on progress. So how are we doing? Schedule up those follow-up meetings if they're needed for the situation. That's really key. And make sure you deliver on your actions that you've committed to. We go back to that ABC model about dependable. It's really important that we do what we said we were going to do. No surprise to me, Faye, as you're talking through this, no surprise to me at all that you coach leaders and managers and that you've written this course because as you're talking through it, it just all connects together and your experience shines through really strongly. So let's take you on to learning point five because this is already going to be a bit of a bumper podcast for our listeners. We're going to extend it slightly because this is all such core stuff. And I know that when you introduced the five 
learning points at the beginning, you said number five really is this big point that I'm trying to squash everything into because it's so important. And your number five was about developing staff and about coaching and considering learning styles within that. So talk to us a little bit about why is this important and what you mean by it? So when we look at developing staff, it's made up of so many different elements and we can't develop staff unless we develop our own skills as well. And something that's really important when it comes to developing staff is just understanding your staff team a little bit better. So listeners might have heard of Honey and Munford's learning styles questionnaire. Honey and Munford suggests that there are four different learning styles. So a reflector, an activist, a theorist and a pragmatist. Some people just might have a preference towards one or other. Sometimes you have people who are all-rounders, but knowing that about yourself is important, but knowing that about your team is really key because it really defines how they like to learn. So, for example, an activist, and I'm an activist, they want to have a go at it now. So just show me it, and I'm going to go and try myself. That's really important to me just to give it a go. Then I'll probably ask questions later. A theorist would want to know a little bit more about why does it work like that. So before a meeting, for example, with somebody who you identify as a theorist, you might choose to send some of the documents that you're going to look at in the meeting before the meeting, because that will feel more comfortable for them. They've had time to digest it and will be able to ask. Me as an activist, I just want to see it in the meeting. Thank you. That feels better for me. A pragmatist is really about looking at how does it work in the real world. So somebody show me how to do this and I just want to give it a go. I want to try and then I'll come back with any questions. You can review what I'm doing. You can check in on what I'm doing, but actually I want to try it. The theory behind it, it doesn't sit well with pragmatists. They want to get on and do it. And the final style is a reflector. And reflectors like to think about things before they make a final decision. When I think about conversations I've had in the past, there was, I think, one colleague in particular who I didn't really recognize as a reflector. They weren't outwardly a reflector. I didn't realize that. And I'd often have those kind of five minute conversations in the corridor. Bear in mind, I'm an activist and I'd be like, all right, could you just do this? That's really brilliant. If you could just get on and do that for us. And if you can just send us that by the end of the day, that would be absolutely fantastic. Thank you. And actually actually, me recognising that for that reflector, they needed a bit more time. They wanted to know a little bit more about the scope of it and think about what their response might be. Just understanding those learning styles as they are can have a huge impact and we can't talk about it in great detail today it's it's top level around this but it really can affect the communications you have with each individual member in your team it might be when you're trying to get team members to work together you're considering their different styles thinking about what they'll bring to each project yeah i think what's really interesting there Faye, is it's been a little bit of a invisible thread but as we've gone through this podcast what's really connected all of the different learning points for me is that word that you just used there and that's communication because actually that can become very much the be all and end all of a really positive working relationship communication has really connected each of those learning points together for me and can have such a huge impact on the relationship you have with somebody yeah 
And I think, interestingly, that there's quite a few different types of learning style theories, aren't there? So I like the visual, auditory, kinesthetic one, because I really like, because I am an activist, getting involved, but actually very much with my hands if I can do. And if you see me talk, I'm kind of all over the place with my hands. There's a variety of different types of studies that talk about leadership styles, but actually the part that's most important is actually recognising that if you understand or take the time to consider your team's learning styles, then actually you can really support them to be an active, positive part of that team. As a manager, that's exactly what what we need. As a leader, that's what we're aiming for, isn't it? Because that makes our life easier, their lives easier, and everybody a lot happier. Yeah, absolutely. And we spend quite a lot of time in the course thinking about coaching and how we can coach our members of staff to develop what they want to achieve. And that's key. We start some of that work, really ask managers to think about a leader who's really helped to empower them and to develop them. Because when people hear the term coaching, they often think I'm not qualified to be a coach. And yes, you can do qualifications in coaching, but it's ultimately about looking at things, I suppose, slightly differently. You don't need to be a qualified coach to be able to do coaching. And I think by asking people to think about people who've helped them in the past, they hopefully will recognise the coaching behaviours in leaders and managers that have been impactful for them, but how they can take that coaching approach with their members of staff. People often think it needs to be a direct sit-down meeting where somebody sat up opposite you and you go through the particular model. So one of the models we look at in the training is the goal model, and that's goal, reality, options, and a way forward. And the model was actually developed in the 1980s, and as I say, those four stages, but ultimately you can follow them in a linear fashion, but you can also use that model more flexibly, moving forwards and backwards between the different stages, and I think that's so key. You know, don't get bogged down in the model. Let that conversation be led by the individual you're having that conversation with. The four stages really are to goal. And this stage is about identifying what the individual's overarching goal is, along with a goal for those coaching sessions. So thinking about what they want to achieve within role. Ultimately, that can be one of the most difficult steps in some ways because people aren't always immediately clear on their goal. It's worth really investing in that time and getting that goal really clear. And again, all of that comes from knowing your team members, knowing your service and what your service needs to achieve, but also why do they do the job that they do? What's really of interest to them? What things do they want to develop? Yeah. You can get that right. Any actions and solutions identified are really focusing on addressing the right areas and challenges. So it's worth getting that right. That leads you really strongly into the wider development opportunities for staff as well, like that training and that shadowing and all of the internal development opportunities within an organisation alongside that coaching, because it's not all about just your relationship with your member of staff or theirs within the team. It's also about that within the organisation and within that wider impact as well. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. I've really, really enjoyed talking to you, as I always do, to be fair. But it's great to record it so that our listeners can benefit from the five top learning points from the leadership and management course that we run. Is there anything that you would like to say just as a final point for the listeners? 
Um, well, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you as well uh, today, Tammy. But yeah, ultimately, just we can all be great leaders and managers. And it's about being able to be open enough to recognise where you want to develop and where you need to develop those skills. And you can lead great, successful teams, but you can't do it alone. You really do need your team with you. Fantastic. That's a brilliant thing to end on. So thank you again, Faye, and thank you to our listeners. We have now come to the end of podcast series one. We've explored five key learning points from each of take or training sessions. These are sessions we believe are fundamental to delivering safe, effective services to people with complex needs and or vulnerabilities. To find out more or to look at our list of 30 plus specialist courses, please visit our website. Podcast series two will be coming soon and will be focused on discussing the training for influence methodology and the difference it makes. We will cover each of the four steps in detail, expert, tailored, engaging and values. You will hear from me, a variety of guest experts and trainees who have completed the Train the Trainer course. I'll probably even read a little of the book, which is due for publication in September. I truly hope that you've found value in these podcasts so far. Both TAFE facilitators and I have loved recording them. And now for the last time, I'd like to finish by saying a huge thank you. Whether you're working or volunteering on the front line with vulnerable and or complex people, a manager supporting a team, or part of the cogs that keep the wheels of a frontline organisation turning, truly, thank you. It's only together that we can help people stay safe and prevent harm and abuse. Please don't forget about yourself though. No one, no matter how amazing, can pour from an empty cup. There is a reason emotional resilience features in all our courses, irrelevant of the subject. It's because it matters. You matter. Take care of yourself. If you'd like to know more about me, Tammy Banks, Tay Training, or the Training for Influence methodology, please have a read of the show notes. You can also find us on all social media platforms at Tay Training, or contact me directly via email tammy at taytraining.org.uk. If you hadn't noticed already, I love to talk. Have a good day.